Welcome to Behind the Music, the Houston Chamber Choir's weekly podcast. I'm Sinjin Flynn. Joining me on this episode is Houston Chamber Choir soprano Stacy Franklin. Stacy, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. First question, how long have you been a soprano in the Houston Chamber Choir? I started with the Houston Chamber Choir in 2011, so quite a while. <laughs> what was it that made you audition for the choir? Why did you want to audition? So I, I had a, an interesting vocal journey, but at the time I was looking for ways to get plugged back into the music scene because I had been kind of out of it for a while, uh, the, the vocal scene. I was still playing harp and teaching, but I was looking for ways to get back to singing. And I was studying with Kathy Count at Rice and she said, there's this choir. And they're amazing. And when I need to go clear my mind and just hear beautiful music, I go to the Houston Chamber Choir concerts. And, um, and she said, the sopranos are glorious and you'd fit right in. And so she said, you have to sing for Bob. And so I did. And um, it was, you know, it was meant to be. And uh, that first year was the year we, um, we did a big tour up to the Northeast and sang at Yale and it was just really magical. And so that was a great entry into the choir. It's like, oh, okay. And I got to know the people really well. You know, whenever you travel together, you get to know people pretty well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. What is it that you like about being in the choir? I love the synthesis of our voices. Uh, it's one thing to work on your own craft as a soloist, but there's something really magical that happens when you sync up with other voices and the colors change depending on who you're singing with. And you even mind meld, so to speak, at some point after singing with um, some of these women for so many years, we, we start to approach things the same way. We, we may breathe in the same place. We may choose the same colors. We may match each other's colors. It's like, it's like a it takes on its own life form. You know what I mean? It's a living, <laughs> breathing entity. It is. It's, it's more yeah. than just me. Uh, and that, that is exciting. What are some of your highlights from your seasons with the Chamber Choir to date? Well, I loved that tour that we did. Um, I loved the um, Kim Nazarian concert. That was so much fun. Um, mm -hmm. And some of the other jazz concerts where we've um, worked with Richard Brown and his um, orchestra, his jazz, his jazz band. That's been a lot of fun. I love the Requiem, the Duraflay, and I've gotten to sing it twice with the choir once in conjunction with a really interesting piece. It was like so abrasive and almost tribal sounding. And then we sang the Requiem right after it. But it was like seeing the Requiem after that really fierce piece was mm -hmm. like this soothing balm. And, um, and so that was a really neat memory. Um, and of course and that was the, the Duraflay was, was what won the Grammy. Yes, and then of course we got to sing it several years later with Ken Cowan and then made the recording and won the Grammy. <laughs> I still need to frame my certificate. It's sitting over there on a pile of 
very important papers. <laughs> that's, that's so cool. It's so cool. It is, it is really cool. It's very exciting. Yeah. But you've you've also been a soloist. You were a soloist on, I think, the 2015 album. Yes. Of Amber Light. I've done a couple solos with um with the choir and I've I've loved it. Two of my favorites were the um the one on Dominic's piece and a dome of many colored glass. A dome of many colored glass. Yes, that was a lot of fun. And that was a hard piece syncing up with the marimba and just it was very um somehow I don't know how Dominic is amazing, but somehow that's Dominic Diorio, we should say. Yes, Dominic Diorio. Somehow he is able to still be melodic even in this very disjunct line is amazing. That's a tough piece, isn't it? I yes. mean, you're in the, I think, the second movement at night. Yes. And he makes you jump around all over the place. <laughs> all over the place. Um, another favorite memory was when I sang the Etienne Carnatius Est from the Mozart. Um, that, was, that was a real highlight for me as well. How do you think being in the choir has helped you develop as a singer or has it? Oh, it has, yes. I, in school, in college, I was on this like soloist operatic track. This is all I wanna do. I don't really have any use for choir, blah, blah, blah. But growing up in high school, I loved choir. And so I don't know, I got into this sort of, you know, mind, um, you know, a uh, track of, oh, you know, soloist is, being a soloist is all that matters. And so, um, so I think it helped me come back to my roots a little bit and realize um, the beauty of singing collectively. Um, and I still love I love singing as a soloist, but there is just something very irreplaceable about singing with a group of people and especially people of such a high caliber as the singers in the Houston Chamber Choir. I mean, they're all soloist level on their own um, and fantastic artists and teachers and directors. So it's really, it's really amazing. I was pretty intimidated actually when I first came in the choir because I felt like I was really rusty and, um, they, these people were like sight reading machines. <laughs> you did a you did a um, a, a music degree uh, with a concentration as a, a in vocal performance at Baylor. I did, I did. I actually started out as a double major, despite their warnings of you can't do a double major in music performance. It can't be done. And I was like, don't tell me what I can't do. And so I tried to do both harp performance and voice. Um, uh -huh. But in the end, they were right. There were too many conflicts, the ensembles conflicted, and it just wasn't meant for, you know, someone to do both. So, um, so I made it last as long as I could. About two years in, I just stuck with, with voice. Did you grow up in a musical household? So I grew up, my mom loves to sing and she's not classically trained or anything, but she always had a dream to sing on Broadway. And she jokes that my grandma would never buy her singing lessons because it just wasn't practical. My grandmother is very practical, <laughs> but she, 
she's just like a little performer at heart, my mom. I think if she had, you know, had the path opened up for her, she, she would have, I can see her, I can definitely see her singing on Broadway. Um, but yeah, so she loves to sing and she and my grandmother used to write jingles and enter them into competitions. Like, I think oh, really? I think they won a washer and dryer at some point or something. Uh, um, so that sort of um, works its way into the fabric of, of my music background too, because I've always made up little songs. I still, I've kind of gotten, gotten into writing um, a little bit of my own things lately. And so um, I definitely owe my innate love of music to my mom and my musical talent. My, my dad is more left-brained um so he he's not he's not much of a singer <laughs> but you've got some mom, balance there in the parents yes yes <laughs> but they were actually both in band they they met mm -hmm. uh, well they were high school sweethearts but they he played clarinet and my mom played the flute and um so yeah <laughs> so what did you do musically in high school Gosh, well my music uh, started my musical journey started really early I mean I sang in church choirs from preschool age you know and mm -hmm. um, always was involved in that I did handbells all those things um, I took harp lessons and um, and then in high school I started taking voice lessons I remember in middle school actually um, I was in the choir I was in alto in middle school believe it or not I know it's hard to believe this high school <laughs> life as an alto, but I, I love to harmonize and I had a good ear. So they put me on alto. Um, but I had a friend who told me, she said, you should take voice lessons. And I was, this was in eighth grade. And I was really offended. Like, I don't need voice lessons. Like I'm a good singer. And she, she explained, no, no, you take voice lessons because you are talented. <laughs> so right. I did, I started voice lessons in um, ninth grade. And um, I was at Clear Lake High School and loved it. Loved the choir program there, loved my teachers. Um, became a member of the Sound Waves, which was the Clear Lake High School um, show choir, jazz ensemble, and loved it. Um, so that was kind of my first foot into vocal jazz. Mm -hmm. And then you went to, to Baylor and, and then I became went to a, Baylor. a voice major. Yes, and became a voice major and did the opera program and um, did, did the competitions and the young artist programs and all of the things you do to try to make it in this crazy field. <laughs> so you, you have a strong background in opera as well, don't you? I do. I do. Yeah, I, I love... I. I remember, so the first time I really fell in love with opera was, was hearing Renee Fleming's Beautiful Voice album. Uh -huh. And I remember a friend in high school that was in the choir with me had said, you have to listen to this. And I remember we listened to the whole album in her car, you know, to like, like a 16 and a 17 year old, just rocking out to Renee Fleming. <laughs> <laughs> Not the norm. Um, but yeah, I just remember just being captivated by her. And um, I just love the genre, the passion and um, the storytelling. So 
that was something that I always, always enjoyed. And, and creating a character was a lot of fun for me. I always really enjoyed that process. What are some of your favorite operatic roles? Gosh. That you've, that you've sung? Yes, I loved, um, I loved the sassy maid in um, La Serva Padrona. <laughs> she was a lot of fun, um, Servina. And, and I also really loved Gretel. That was kind of the biggest stretch for me because that's a big thing, actually. Even Hansel though, and Gretel. Yes, Hansel and Gretel, even though she's a child, it's, it's a big thing for a soprano. Um, and I got to do it with a small orchestra and that was just glorious. <laughs> it was so much fun. Just and running around, it was a very athletic role too. So running around on the stage and trying to keep your breath under you and still portray the character um, still sing with warmth and um, passion, but also you're still a child. So it was a really complex, a lot of dichotomies that you had to walk a fine line between. Was there ever any doubt in your mind that you were going to be a musician professionally? Well, um, it, yeah, it was something I always wanted to do and just assumed that I would do. Like I never really thought of anything else. Uh, I remember when I when I went to orientation at Baylor and they said, don't become a music major unless you can't be happy doing anything else. Don't go into music. I know. Wow. And they were and it was very foreboding too. They were like, it's a you know, it's just music, it's theory, it's history. And I mean, I love that. I love being saturated in it, but I can see how some people would come in and be overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, I loved going way in depth, um, but there was a time where I, my senior year of college, I lost my voice and had chronic laryngitis for about a year before they diagnosed me. And actually, I am I am in the Texas ENT Journal. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> because my voice doctor had never. It was such a rare case. Um, that she she wrote an article up about me in the Texas E&T Journal circa you have a famous know, throat 2003 or so yes <laughs> and so um, so yeah that was quite a journey and I had to give up singing for quite a while because I couldn't um, and eventually I was able to get with a good team of different doctors figured out what was going on um, and uh, then I found Sharon Radianoff. I don't know if you know her uh, here in Houston, who is an amazing vocal specialist. And she helped me rehabilitate my voice. It was about eight years from the time I lost my voice to the time I sang in public again. Oh, and wow. So it was a long journey. <laughs> what, what effect did that have on you? Even just talking was a feat. It, it, you know, as a singer, it was devastating, but I didn't realize how much you're defined by your voice, even not as a singer, even just as a person, you know, it altered my personality. I didn't want to go be in a loud restaurant because I couldn't be heard or people were always asking me, oh, are you sick? No. Well, no, <laughs> no, I just sound like I have laryngitis. Um, it was devastating. Um, and I even got to the point where I kind of forgot you know, 
just like when you rehabilitate any other kind of injury, um, let's say a car accident, you have to learn, relearn how to walk. You have right. to retrain your brain because those neural pathways have been broken. So for me, even though I had been singing and been trained, I had to relearn how to breathe. I had to relearn how to phonate and then trust the sound when I was able to make it. Um, uh, and, and then just build the confidence of the fact that my body would continue to be able to support me as a singer and I wouldn't have a relapse. That was a big fear as I thought I would lose my voice again for a long time. So was there ever <laughs> any doubt? Was there ever any doubt that you would be able to sing again? Yeah. Yeah. I, have, I wrestled with that a lot. I, um, it was a very emotional process. Um, so I'm so grateful mm -hmm. that I had people that walked along that path with me and helped me through and, um, got me onto the other side because I can't imagine my life without singing. I really can't. Yeah. You must really want to sing if you're prepared to, to stick it out for eight years. I don't give up very easily. <laughs> <laughs> Now you've mentioned um, that you also play the harp. I do, yes. So I started harp as, um, gosh, I was eight or nine, I suppose. And I thought every church just had a harp ensemble of 12 to 15 harps at Christmas time. I thought that was normal. And I saw that as a little girl and and my, my, my piano teacher was the harpist and organist and pianist at our church, Becky Baxter. And I said, I wanna do that. And I bugged him enough. Um, she made me take enough piano before starting harp, which is good. You got to have a good foundation. Um, mm -hmm. And then I started on a little, a small lever harp, uh, Celtic style harp, and um, just got in with the Houston harp community, which is sort of became this harp family. You know, I had my harp teacher, just like my harp mom. And then her, her teacher was my harp grandmother, which is Beatrice Rose. She played with the symphony for many years. Um, and then um, Therese Honey and Bonnie Goodrich were like my harp aunts. And I still keep in touch with these people. And it's, it's amazing, you know, that I've known them all this time. And we would have master classes over at Miss Rose's house. And, you know, um, she would bring in harp greats for us to, to study with. Um, I got to have a lesson with, um, one of Carlos Salzedo's um, amazing students. Uh, and so that was really remarkable, so. I don't think people realize how strong of a harp community there is throughout the US. Yes, it's a very niche community, but, but once you're, you know, there's so few of us that we all kind of get to know each other and pass gigs around, I, I've always, been really encouraged by other harpists that you know helped me into the gigging world <laughs> also there are very few harpists that can travel on a plane with their harp <laughs> yeah. and, and so you know you always rely on somebody at your destination that can let you borrow their harp well, you know, I think orchestral harpists actually travel with theirs. I've never traveled with mine. I have a couple of shipping trunks. For a long time, one of my harp shipping trunks was a coffee table. <laughs> I propped up one end and it was really cool. I mean, it kind of looks like a coffin, but <laughs> it's a great, 
the great conversation piece. <laughs> so do you play the harp now? I mean, do, do you play it professionally? Well, minus the pandemic. I actually just had my first wedding um, last weekend back in, in, the, in the real world, but I hadn't had a gig since March. Um, but yes, I do. I'm, I, I actively gig around town. I do a lot of weddings, um, parties, receptions. I, um, I was the tea room, the tea room harpist at the St. Regis for eight years, the contract oh, harpist wow. there. And that was, that was where my love of tea began. So I'm an avid tea aficionado. I'm sure you appreciate that given your background. <laughs> <laughs> you probably know more about tea than I do. <laughs> The holidays, Christmas time, must be incredibly busy for you. Crazy busy. <laughs> what sort of gigs do you do you enjoy? I mean, the, I guess that, any any paying yeah. gig, I guess you enjoy. But. The December is always my biggest season, and almost so much so that there was a time in my life where I had to really figure out how to balance that so that I could still enjoy the holidays. Because <laughs> when you start playing Christmas music hours a day it, in November, all the way through December, you don't really want to listen to it <laughs> because you listen to a lot of it already. But right. I've been able to find balance and not overwork myself to the degree of not enjoying the season because you know I want to be able to contribute as an artist, but also, um, enjoy it personally as well. Um, but I love to do, you know, there's just a lot of fun. Everybody wants a harpist at Christmas. Everybody wants choirs at Christmas, singers, music. There's just all, it all happens. And so some right. of my favorite, my favorite things are, you know, playing in a big lobby for some of the oil companies downtown Christmas tunes next to a tree. That's always really fun. Um, I love, uh, for a few years, I've been singing in the Nutcracker Chorus, and that oh, yeah. is a ton of fun. Um, and you get to hear the dancers thumping around on stage above you. I can I can only see a tiny snippet in one part of what's going on on stage, um, <laughs> but it's, it is so much fun. And I'm sad that we won't be doing that this year, but we'll be back next year. Um, and then, of course, the, the choir always sings at the Villa, the Villa de Mattel, which for our viewers, if they have not been to a Villa de Mattel concert, it is just magical. I remember when I first started in the choir in my first Villa concert, everyone talked about it for weeks and weeks. And I thought, oh, well, can't be this amazing, you know. <laughs> and I walked in preparing, you know, to, to not be as impressed. And I looked up and looked around at the stained glass and the marble columns and the hand carved, you know, pew and pews and altar pieces. I mean, it was just as incredible as everybody said. And the sound was just as impeccable. It's a very magical place, so. I've always thought of the uh, the chamber choirs, you know, Christmas at the Villa performances as being a, a Christmas tradition. It really is a yes uh, it, it, on the on the performance scene. Those concerts are, are are spectacular, not just because of the the singing, which obviously is uh, is superb, but because of that location. Because right. That, that chapel is spectacular it is and it's like it just dropped straight out of europe 
you know, and it's on this woodland acreage. So it's isolated from the outside world. It's, it feels like a, it just feels holy and special and it's a convent. It's part of a convent, isn't it? And it is an active convent. So there are nuns that live there. And I think they pipe our concert into their rooms so that they can hear us. And sometimes you'll see them on the balcony listening to rehearsals or performances. So that's kind of cool. What's it like to sing in that space? though? Some spaces you sing in and you don't get a lot of give back. But in the mm -hmm. villa, you, you get that reverberation coming back to you, too. So you have a real sense of what it sounds like in the space. And that's not always true. Sometimes you have no idea what you sound like <laughs> as, yeah. as a group in a space or the sound gets lost and maybe it sounds great from the audience, but you don't get a sense of that. But I, for some reason, the way this, this space reverberates, um, we get to enjoy the sound just as much as the audience. You have a, a little secret as well. It's not much of a secret, but you're, uh, you're part of an all-female acapella group called yes. six of one yes yes we have so much fun and um we started it was all, all of us were in the chamber choir and just loved singing together so much that we wanted to sing together some more <laughs> so we started um having our own rehearsals and booking performances and concerts and um even writing our own arrangements so really yeah it's been a ton of fun. Again, the pandemic has sort of put a little bit of a damper on that, but we're figuring out ways to to get back into that. So, and what sort of repertoire do you do you perform with Six of One? Well, originally we thought we would do more classical stuff as well, but really we do a lot of vocal jazz, and it's so fun. Um, we even kind of found a niche in the Greek Orthodox Church for weddings because they don't allow instruments. And so we've done several, <laughs> several Greek Orthodox weddings with just our voices, um, just, which is kind of a cool thing none of us would have imagined. Um, but yeah, but we love to do, um, Lauren, Lauren Pasterick is an amazing arranger and she can just, I don't know how she does it. I don't know how the heart, that brain works, but she can just, put together an arrangement that is so cool and so unique and really us because she knows all our voices. And um, so we have a few of those. I think one of the things that uh, a lot of people perhaps forget about the Houston Chamber Choir is that you do sing a lot of jazz. Yeah. And do you enjoy that? Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, I, I think because it, you know, takes me back to my first experiences with jazz and just falling in love with that genre and then being able to do that as, as a vocalist, but in a more instrumental way, you know, it's really, you, you sing more like an instrument when you sing vocal jazz. And that's a lot of fun for me to be able to mimic the sounds of muted trumpets or, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to recreate, percussive sounds or um, you get to play with your voice in a way that you don't always get to do as a classical singer. And you mentioned enjoying the performances that you did with Kim Nazarian. And oh. she, she taught the choir a lot, I think, didn't she? 
She did. And she is just a, a, a really neat human being. I really enjoyed not only working with her as an artist, but just getting to know her as a person. Mm -hmm. um, she actually worked with our group, um, Six of One, also while she was here. And so that was a lot of fun. We got to see her in a little more intimate context. And then I was just so taken with her that I signed up for her vocal jazz camp um, in Kalamazoo, Michigan with the New York oh, wow. Voices the following uh -huh. summer and went up there and totally out of my comfort zone. You know, I'm this classically trained choral opera nerd in this jazz world, <laughs> you know, where everyone is as serious about jazz as I had been about um, opera. And, mm -hmm. but so I felt I was very much a newbie, <laughs> but I loved it. it I didn't care because it was fun to just try something new and get out of my comfort zone a little bit. What did you learn? What did I learn? For you, oh, for your voice. At the camp specifically, mm -hmm. or just in general? Um, well, I had a lot of fun learning how to scat, how to um, think uh, harmonically and craft a melody in the moment that fits the harmony of the music. Um, I've always been blown away by people that can do that. And I never thought that would be something I could do, but um, it was really fun to experiment with that. And I'd like to continue doing that um, because it's one of those things that, you know, the more you do it, the better you get. And, and you kind of just, you have to let go. And that is not me. <laughs> I'm not very good at kind of letting go. I, I like structure and predictability. And, and so I think jazz is a really good, almost spiritual practice for me, <laughs> you know, because it just, you can't, you have to be in the moment. You can't think too hard about things. You can't plan out every cadenza you're going to sing. You just, you just go with it and the music happens. So that's really fun and kind of terrifying, but it's so rewarding that it's worth the terror. <laughs> Do you find it difficult to to switch between the, the 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 classical voice and the jazz voice? Not anymore, no. And I think I owe a lot of that to to my vocal journey and having to relearn how to sing um, enabled me to build a really solid technique, really strong mm -hmm. breath support system and way of approaching my breaks. And on, honestly, as I've gotten older, um, cause I'm a light lyric coloratura, which is high, 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 you know, um, I remember struggling to sing a B flat, just the, the note, a step below middle C in, in college. I mean, it never would occur to me that I could sing as low as a G below middle C. Ooh, that's, big time. I know my alto friends are like, are you kidding me? But, um, but yeah, as I've gotten older, my voice has matured a lot in that lower range, which is really helpful for jazz and popular music. Um, and so that has, that has really served me well. And it's kind of exciting because it's a new range and a new, new color that I get to play with that I haven't had as much access to. How do you take care of your voice? Do you do anything in particular to, because your voice is your instrument. Yes. Um, but it's also, well, it's also your body. Your body. I was going to say your body is your instrument. So, um, well, I drink a lot of water. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I try to aim when I'm, when I'm really hydrated, I try to aim for almost a hundred ounces a day, which is a lot. It's like three of these. <laughs> um, so hydration is key, plenty of rest, which mm -hmm. can be challenging if you've got nerves and nerves going on and you have to remind yourself to get a good night's rest, super important. Um, sometimes if I'm really being strict, um, cutting out sugar and processed foods helps for me a lot. A lot of, um, a lot of those foods can cause inflammation, which is not good for your body or your voice. Right. Um, so I've noticed sometimes some of my best singing has been when I have, have cut some of those things from my, from my diet. And it's tough. It's tricky. Cause I am a sweet tooth for sure. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I definitely can feel it. I can feel the effects. Yeah. <laughs> Your life is obviously completely immersed in music and in performance. When you're not rehearsing for, with the choir or practicing with the harp, or what sort of music do you like to listen to? Well, I love bluegrass and I love kind of folky um, folky music or jazz, vocal jazz. And also I love anything kind of international sounding. Um, so I love French or, you know, Portuguese, um, sambas and bossa novas and that sort of thing. That's a lot of fun for me. Um, I also really love whimsical lyrics and almost that, uh, what's the word, that kind of vaudeville, kind of quirky sound. Um, there's a band called the Diddy Bops that is, is just that, just kind of quirky and fun and silly, um, but adorable. Um, and I've actually, I've gotten into playing the ukulele myself over the last few years. Oh, really? So I've really enjoyed learning a lot of these fun songs on the ukulele and um, jazz tunes as well. And um, yeah, it's just, I've always said, you cannot be sad and play the ukulele. You just can't. So <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I feel like it's a great instrument um, for me. It's a great outlet. Why the ukulele? Well, because it's so happy. Um, and because I, had a roommate who was a music therapist and she had a ukulele which was very helpful for her as she's you know working with patients and all around the hospital it's very portable um and so I started playing around on hers and then I had to have one <laughs> of my own and now I have two I have two ukuleles and I'm considering maybe getting a third um but I I use it at work a lot. I work at a church with children. So it's perfect for kids because who doesn't like a tiny guitar, you know? Um, so it's been a lot of fun in that, in that aspect. I never thought I'd be able to, to sing and strum at the same time. When I first learned, it was so awkward. It's like patting your head and rubbing your tummy, tummy trying yeah. to sing one rhythmic pattern and strum another. It's tricky. <laughs> I had a lot I had a lot of respect for guitarists and drummers as I am still learning how to do that. <laughs> now you say you have two ukuleles. Are they 
are all ukuleles the same or are there different different there sizes? Are different sizes just like harps come in different sizes as well um, i have two harps as well so um i must have a thing for twos but um i have a soprano which is little tiny oh, wow. little tiny thing it's not tuned um and then i in order to play at work i needed um one with a electro electroacoustic plug-in mm -hmm. so i got this concert which is the next size up and it's got you know it's all got the electric it's setup electric. And everything. an electric right. ukulele oh, yes wow. so i can plug in and jam out um it has a really nice tone and then there's a a, a tenor and a baritone so i'm thinking maybe about getting a tenor at some point so do you have a room in your house that's just full of instruments? <laughs> well, I have two harps and a piano downstairs, and I've got two ukuleles and a guitar upstairs. Um, so, you know, there's opportunities for music on whatever floor you choose to be on. <laughs> Final question for you, Stacey, and I want you to be honest. Okay. Do you listen to yourself on the Houston Chamber Choir recordings? <laughs> I did listen to the Duraflay, but only after we won the Grammy, because I wanted to hear it from that, from that perspective. But honestly, all the CDs I have with the choir are still in the plastic wrapping. <laughs> <laughs> I can't bring myself to open them. And also, I lived it, you know, so I've heard it. But it is, you're right, it's a different experience. Um, and I remember listening to the Duraflay specifically thinking, wow, we're good. <laughs> so I think it is a good practice to step back every now and then um, and hear the full picture and not just what I hear in my area of the choir, you know. What about your uh, solo on the Dome of Many Colored Glass. Have you listened to that? <laughs> I did, I did. I'm, I'm really hard on myself, so. Mm. Um, so it's tough, isn't it? It's hard to look, yes. Yeah, I think, I think it's also good to let some time go by before listening to a recording because it's not fresh in your mind. You don't have all the mistakes that you, you know, you don't have that catalog of mistakes that you made that are imperceptible to anyone else. <laughs> when you're a little more removed from the actual experience of the nerves of recording, you can appreciate it more, I think. Right. You can listen to it with a healthier perspective, at least for me. Look, Stacey, I really appreciate you talking to us. It's, it's great to just have your perspective on the choir and also to learn about your um, difficult vocal journey. You've had you've had many many highs, but you've also had some lows as well. Yeah, yeah, and I will say, I, there used to be a lot of shame around that, but I've realized that it's not a matter of if you will have trouble with your voice at this level. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of when. It's just like a high level athlete. You know, the the way we have push our bodies to do what we do it's not necessarily very natural 
you know, just like right. an athlete. I mean, we are, we are vocal athletes. So. Yeah. Well, look, best wishes for the holidays. Thank and you. Best wishes for the, the rest of the Houston Chamber Choir season. Yes. Stacey Franklin, thank you very much. <laughs> you are most welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank you to everybody who supports the Houston Chamber Choir. We appreciate you watching. We appreciate your support. And we'll see you next time. The Houston Chamber Choirs with One Accord is your one-stop shop for choral joy. If you enjoyed this podcast, help us to continue our mission to grow the esteem and appreciation of choral music by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to our content. As a 501c3 nonprofit, support from listeners like you allows us to continue to create new and exciting programming. For more information about us and how you can support our work, please visit HoustonChamberChoir.org give.